Hadassah, and I'm so excited to welcome you to Real Woman, Real Torah, a project of Bacheva Learning Center. We're here to offer you an authentic Torah learning experience, produced for women, by women. I hope you enjoy. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Masecha Saita podcast. Um, we are so excited to be here and to be starting this journey with you. My name is Hadassah. Um, I live in Los Angeles, California, and I am a high school teacher and also the director of Bacheva Learning Center. I'm Deborah. I am Hadassah's sister. In addition to that illustrious position, I learn at GPATS. I'm a student at GPATS. I write for Hachail Magazine, and I also direct Hidon for Bacheva Learning Center. So I think the first time I, someone ever challenged me to finish a Masechta um, was when I was in Israel uh, many years ago in my note. Um, and me and a couple of friends, we all took on the challenge together. Um, and it's, it's a minhag, which we'll talk about soon, where the minhag comes from and why to learn a daf of Saita every single day of Shafir Somer. Um, and my friends and I committed to doing it. it. It was a big commitment. We ended up doing it, you know, having to bring our Gamaras with us on long bus rides and, you know, in early mornings and all kinds of um, interesting situations. Um, but it was really an eye-opening experience. Um, and after I came home that year um, and, you know, the following Pesach, I was, um, you know, at my family and my parents, um, we started actually learning it together as a family. Right. Laura, do you remember that? <laughs> yeah, I was very young at the time. So I don't even remember a time before this so that family gatherings. <laughs> I kind of felt this was a thing since time immemorial, but that also right. just <laughs> informed me that this was her innovation. Um, yeah, so so my father used to used to learn it, and then we sort of would gather around, and it became sort of this family affair. And like our guests would also sit around, and it became like a big family party, all learning with Sechasaita together um, throughout that week of Pesach. And then the real challenge was continuing it after Pesach was over, <laughs> once we weren't all together. But um, yeah, those were really those were really great memories that we had together. Um, and yeah, Devorah and I are really excited to bring that that journey to all of you and invite you all to join us on this journey together to to go through Masecha Saita, this Spheres Imer. Inviting um, you to our, virtually, to our dining room table. Come join us. Yes, or our couch. <laughs> More accurately. <laughs> <Is it me? laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so we're just, I'm just going to give a brief introduction to what Masecha Saita is about. Like, what is the Saita... Um, and which is sort of the main topic, at least the beginning of this Masechta. And then Devor will give a little bit more insight into um, what, why, where does the Midhag come from, and why do we specifically um, learn this Masechta during Sphere's Haimer. Um, so a little bit about the Saita. So the word Saita actually comes from the the Pasuk um, in Bamidbar, which describes this, this process. And it says, Ki, Kisista Ishtai, right? Which means when uh, a man's wife will go astray, right? And that's where the word Saita comes from. Um, and this, uh, the Saita is basically a woman who is suspected of committing adultery. In order to be categorized as a Saita, there needs to be two steps. Uh, two things have to happen. Number one, there has to be something called Kinoi. Kinoi means warning, um, which means that her husband um, suspects that she's having an inappropriate relationship with another man. And he warns her um, specifically to not be secluded with that specific man. Um, that's step number one. And there has to be 
yeah, that's the first step. Step number two is something called stira. Stira means that um, they have to actually have been secluded together. Um, that her she has to be secluded with that specific man, um, and then at that point she becomes categorized as a saita. Um, and at that point she is not she's not com- com- considered an adulteress um, completely, but she's no longer allowed to be with her husband until her status is resolved. Um, so at that point, she pretty much has two choices. She can either choose to get divorced um, if she wants, um, and she does forfeit her ksuba. If she would like to go through with the Saita process, the Saita process is basically a way of her verifying her innocence um, that she did not actually um, do anything wrong. Um, so at that point... Maybe I should clarify just a bit about the ksuba, right? Ksuba in general is um, a amount, like a set amount of money which a woman receives upon divorce um, uh, in a case where, you know, the, either the husband chooses to divorce her or a case where, you know, there was no reason on her end, no fault on her end for the termination of the marriage. Exactly. Um, right, right. And in this case, she would, she would forfeit the Um And so assuming she and her husband both agree to go through with this process, um, not to get into all the details, because we're going to be going through that in the Masechta. Masechta will deal with that in, in a lot of detail. But briefly, basically, they end, they go to the Sanhedrin in Yerushalayim, um, and they, you know, she takes an oath saying that she's innocent. Um, they She brings a, a barley offering, a carbon, um, and then the Kaihan will take a piece of scroll and write out the entire Parsha of the site that the way it's written in the Torah on the scroll, erase it in water. Um, and then she drinks that water and miraculously, um, drinking that water would, um, as a result of, as a result of drinking that water, she would either, um, experience a lot of blessings in her life. Um, and that would prove her innocence or alternatively, if she is indeed guilty, um, her body as a result of drinking that water will slowly deteriorate and eventually die. Um, and that, that was sort of a symbol that she she had been guilty. Um, so this is actually one of the only cases we have where there's a uh, you know sort of a a legal process that's that's resolved miraculously, right? Like through heaven, right? It's not like a you know normally we solve cases by the based in sort of you know looking at the evidence and figuring it out. And in this case, we actually rely on a miracle to determine her her innocence or her guilt, um, which is interesting. So. That's just a brief summary of what the Saita is, um, and we're going to get into a lot of details about this um, in the actual Masechta, but on a little bit of a more deeper level, Deborah will give us um, some insight into what is the meaning behind this and why do we specifically learn this um, during Spheres Eimer. Right. So um, on, a, on a very basic level, I think the most well-known reason uh, for why we learn this Masechta during during the days of Sphira is because there are 49 dafim, um, 49 pages, or rather to be more accurate, <laughs> they're the last daf of Masechah Saita is 49 uh, for the reason that all Masechahs start on daf base, right? So the last daf is 49. There really are only 48. <laughs> we'll get back to that later. But the last daf is 49, Memtes. Um, and there are 49 days in Spira. So because of this numerical association, uh, you know, we learn it uh, during that time. There's actually another menhag to learn Masechta Shavuot for a similar reason, because there also it also goes up to Daf Memtes. 
Um, now, beyond the simple numerical, uh, you know, association, um, it's a little bit harder to understand, right, at least, you know, on the surface level, what connection there is. I mean, the association between Shavuos and Sphira is <laughs> more uh, overt, right? It's called Shavuos. Um, so there's associations made between the oath, you know, that Jews took upon the Torah, etc. Um, well, what is the association with the content of the Thetisaita to the spiritual quality or, you know, the content, if you will, of the time period of Spheris Omer? So um, first of all, let's just examine this whole uh, idea, this general idea of uh, attaching meaning and significance to the numerical, the number of pages in a given Masakta. Um, just as a historical note, the entire idea of pagination uh, for the Gemara, having a set number of Dothim in any given Masakta, is a relatively recent phenomenon with the advent of the printing press. Um, the printers assigned a set number of pages to each Masakta. Um, and as it happens, it was actually most probably a non-Jew who assigned uh, the current pagination we have today to the Masechtas. Probably his name was Daniel Ballenberg, which was a Christian printer, right? So there actually brings this up in a Sikha, this idea that um, it would seem that the pagination of the Gemara is a recent phenomenon, right? The Tanaim, Amuraim, the Ga'inim, the Rishinim, they all didn't have the pagination that we have. It's a recent thing. And it actually came... Um, through a non-Jew. A non-Jew actually assigned the pages that we have today. So why then do we assign significance to the number of pages in Amasakta? And the Rebbe says that indeed it is so, right? Although these um, this convention, right, of a set number of pages for Amasakta is relatively recent and did not come from a Jewish source, nevertheless, since it has been accepted um, universally, like nearly universally amongst all Jewish communities, um, that alone imbues it with a certain value and a certain sanctity, right? This is really an expression, I think, of the Balshemtov's notion of Hashkacha Pratis, that Hashkacha's Pratis, Hashem's, um, I guess, super, more than just supervision, Hashem um, imbues every detail of creation, every detail of what happens in this world, even the most insignificant detail with meaning and purpose, and even the most seemingly insignificant trivial detail, right? Like the printers had to choose a number of pages, though like it happened to be 49, right? Even a seemingly trivial or insignificant detail um, is an expression of a of a higher purpose. And the fact that this specific pagination became the accepted one among the Jewish people is indeed, can indeed be um, reflective of a, of a deeper spiritual meaning, right? So conclusion of all of that is that, right, the, that is that the fact that the Masechta has 49 pages, right, is not in itself a reason, right? It is a symptom right, is merely a result of some deeper spiritual meaning that Masakta Saita has with Sphere Saimer. So what is that meaning that is symbolized by the fact that Masakta Saita and Sphere Saimer both have um, a similar number, or the same number, <laughs> associated with them? So to answer this question, 
we're going to reference a halacha with regard to the Isha Saita. We're told that the Isha Saita has to bring a carbon when she goes to the base Hamekdash to verify her status. She has to bring a carbon from barley. Now, the uniqueness of this carbon is that it's is that it is one of the only carbonas, right, that are uh, that are brought. One of the only, I should say, qual- qualify that one of the only menachas, right? One of the only flower offerings which are brought from barley. Generally, the flower uh, carbonas must be brought from wheat, right? Barley is an animal food. It's disrespectful to bring such a carbon in the base of Megdash. But the saita is an exception, and the reason for that is because. The Mishnah says it's because her actions were resembled that of an animal, right? She did something that was demeaning, something that was lower than would be expected of um, um, her moral character, right? And that's why her carbon comes from animal food. Sphira Saimer, the other exception to this rule that... Um, that carbonized must must only be wrought from from wheat flour is the carbon imer, right? The carbon that's brought on the second day of Pesach, the first day of Sphira, um, is brought from barley, right? This is the second exception to that rule. Now, the interesting thing is that the the Gemara kind of leaves us in the dark, right? It gives us a reason for why the Isha Saita must bring a carbon from barley, but it leaves us in the dark of, of why the carbon imer has this dubious distinction of being the only other carbon which is brought from an animal food. And Chassidus kind of gives us a deeper insight into this and explains why indeed the carbon omer is also brought from barley. And it says that, um, it's explained in, in many places in Chassidus that uh, spheres of armor was the time historically Right when the Jewish people came out of Mitzrayim, when they it was a process of self-refinement. Right when they came out of Mitzrayim, Mitzrayim happened quickly, happened fast. Right, but we're told the Jewish people when they were in Mitzrayim were not in the most elevated um, spiritual state. The Jewish people had to be taken out of Mitzrayim. Right, they weren't really ready to leave on their own, and therefore, um, between Pesach and in, in order to, for the Jewish people to get the Torah at, on Shavuot. In that period of time between Pesach and Javuus, the Jewish people had to go through a process of self-refinement, or in the language of Hasidus, refining their animal soul, that animalistic tendencies inside ourselves. And so that's the association between Sphiris Eimer and bringing the carbon omer, a, co- a carbon made of barley, of animal food, right? And so we see this association that just like the process, the saita, right, is asked to bring a barley offering to atone for her animalistic um, tendency or action, right? Sphere Somar is a time when we refine that animalistic part of ourselves. Um, there is a second association. Um, we're told that there are seven weeks in during the um, Sphere Somar, period of Sphere Somar. And uh, there's actually another unit of seven, which the Zayhar picks up on, the Zayhar draws an association between the seven weeks of Sphira and the seven days that a woman counts um, after her period in order to then, subsequently, she can then be reunited with her husband. And um, similarly, the process of Sphira's Omer was the process where the Jewish people were refining themselves 
Um, and that process culminated on Shavuot during Matan Torah, where we're told that Torah, right, that the the giving of the Torah was compared to a wedding day when the Jewish people were reunited with Hashem. And this is similar to how the Saita, right, would go through this process of, um, you know, bringing a carbon, this carbon of barley, and then, and, you know, should she, right, go through the process successfully, she would then be able to um, repair, right, her marriage with her husband, right? So really, um, and, Really broadly, also in general, um, Hasidus goes through a lot of uses uses the metaphor and the imagery of a couple, right, being reunited very often um, in terms of our relationship. Um, or the Jewish people are pairing their relationship with Hashem, and so that's really what's going on here. The Sfirah to Omar is the process of the marriage between of repairing the marriage between Hashem and the Jewish people. One last thing I want to pick up on, I promised I'd get back to this, the fact that really, although the last daf in Masecha Saita is daf mem test, they're really only 48 pages, right? So um, the Rebbe actually mentions this in a Sikha. He says that really the title page, right, the, the, the daf hashar of the Masechta is meant to complete the number 49. And so the first day, one should learn the title page. Requires further study. How, right? What what that means? Like, what does it mean to learn the title page? But evidently, there's there is um, depth and significance even to the title page of Amos Sakta. All right. So we can consider, um, for the purposes of this podcast, you can consider this introductory episode your title page. Um, that. Uh, for, for the first uh, first day of Sphere Simer. Um, we're really excited for this journey and we hope that you will uh, take on this challenge and join us um, for the next, uh, you know, uh, 48 Dauphin that we're going to be learning. Um, Deborah will hopefully be reading inside each Dauphin um, and explaining it briefly. Um, and I'll be hopefully um, researching some insights and commentaries um, that I'll sprinkle throughout um, just to give a little bit of deeper insight into into the Dafim. And hopefully, you know, as we go through this journey, we'll be able to see throughout all the details of the Masechta, some of the ideas that Devorah just spoke about, about how, you know, how the site of process sort of parallels our own relationship with Hashem um, as we prepare for Mas and Terah. So looking forward to uh, seeing you at our future, in our future episodes. Um, and enjoy the learning. Yeah, I hope this has whetted your appetite to join us in the future, and we'll see you then. See you there.